Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to the start of yet another week on Political Rewind. It's Monday, March 8th. I'm Bill Nygut. Um, You know, um, voting and elections continue to be a dominant theme here in Georgia and across the country uh, this week. Uh, Yesterday, uh, as you just heard in the NPR news, um, was the 56th anniversary of, uh, uh, of Bloody Sunday, the day in which marchers were stopped from crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge in a very violent confrontation with Alabama law enforcement officials. And um, one of the things that made yesterday notable was it was the first day that the anniversary was marked without John Lewis, Joseph Lowry, or C.T. Vivian, uh, three of the great leaders of the civil rights movement, all of whom died in the year since the last time we looked at this um, anniversary. President Biden uh, uh, spoke about the anniversary and brought it forward to a conversation about what's happening in voting rights right now across the country. We'll talk about that in just a little while. Uh, Today is also, of course, crossover day in the Georgia legislature where bills that um, are on the docket have to pass one body uh, if they want to be considered by the other before the end of the session. Of course, there are always ways around that, and we can talk a little bit about that uh, as we move forward. But any number of the measures that are up today do, in fact, uh, revolve around voting rights and uh, changes in election law. We'll be talking about that. Um, and uh, by the way, when you, if you want to talk about voting rights, you want to talk about full citizenship for all people, this is International Women's Day. You know, it's fascinating to think about that. This is a day when we honor women, their political contributions, their cultural achievements, their work in the communities around the world. Um, and just speaking of it in terms of what we're debating right now, who votes and who doesn't, it, it, you know, it's really interesting to look back in history. 1848 marked the year that um, American women held their first women's rights convention. It was the Seneca Falls Convention. They passed a resolution in 1848 in favor of women's suffrage, even though not all women were on board back then. And yet, women didn't fully get the right to vote until first Congress passed the 19th Amendment in June of 1919, and then it was ratified in October of 1920. So we don't want to fail to recognize the fight that women went through to uh, secure the right to vote. So we'll talk about all that and more with a great panel of journalists today, people who are going to be working very hard throughout this crossover day. Uh, They are Patricia Murphy, political reporter, and columnist at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia, you really are going to be working at both ends because not only are you doing our show this morning, for which we're very grateful, you'll be covering all of the action downtown today, and then you're going to be Donna Lowry's guest on Lawmakers tonight at 7 o'clock on GPTV. Thank you for your help 
at GPB today, um, Patricia. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much. And it'll be my first time to be back on Lawmakers with uh, Donna Lowry since I was on the staff of Lawmakers with Donna Lowry um, last year. (laughs) And it is going to be such a pleasure. And I feel like this morning is an all-star panel. So I am just honored to be a part of it. Well, thank you for being here. And speaking of Donna Lowry, the host of GPB TV's Lawmakers, Donna we're very glad to have you back uh, with us today. And to you, too, I say thank you for working with us early because you have a very long day ahead of you, Donna. It'll be long, but it'll be fulfilling as it always is. I'm always exhausted at the end of crossover day, but there's something about just the energy and everything that happens that makes, you know, just makes the day just, uh, you know, perfect for me, you know, because I'm a journalist and I'm sure the others on the panel feel the same way. And I'm thrilled that Patricia is going to be with us today. There was, if it had been last week, she was on vacation, so I wasn't going to be able to have her on the show. It's so disappointing. So I'm glad to have her back because she and I were together last year. The last show that we were able to do on Lawmakers was the crossover day before everything shut I, down. So it was I kind was, of yeah, I was actually. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was going to actually mention that in a couple of minutes. We're also joined first, though, by uh, Riley Bunch. Uh, who is the state house reporter for CNHI News, which operates a number of newspapers in markets like Dalton, Valdosta, and others across the state of Georgia. And Riley, you too, in store for a very, very long day at the Capitol. Thanks for being with us, Riley. Yeah, absolutely. Just like Donna said, I, you know, I brought my snacks. <laughs> I'm ready to watch bills fly across <laughs> both chambers. And, you know, they, the fun part of it is they could look totally different by next week. So you never know what's in store, and I'm excited for it. There are two people on this show today who are very glad that we no longer have to have the energy to cover a crossover day, which each of us did for many years I'm one of them. The other is my Monday colleague on this show, Jim Galloway, formerly the uh, political reporter, I mean the political lead political writer for the AJC, who passed off, Jim, your responsibilities in terms of the jolt every day and twice a week column Wednesdays and Sundays to Patricia Murphy. Hi, Jim. Hi there. Yeah, and it's, 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 uh, it's, it's nice to see somebody work hard. You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's get started. Make it look easy. Uh, I want to frame the conversation today, if I may, around the anniversary of uh, the of Bloody Sunday yesterday, uh, because that, of course, was the day when the entire country watched the violence against the civil rights marchers, and it turned the country around in terms of its understanding of the need for a civil rights bill, which was passed within weeks by Lyndon Johnson after that awful, awful day at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. So let's listen to President Biden yesterday and his remarks about what happened then and what's happening in state houses like George's right now. The blood of John Lewis and so many other brave and righteous souls that was spilled in Selma on this Sunday in 1965 sanctified a noble struggle. Congress passed the Voting Rights Act a few months later. But the legacy of the march in Selma is that while nothing can stop free people from exercising their most sacred power as as a citizen, 
There are those who will do anything they can to take that power away. Even in the midst of a pandemic, more Americans voted than ever before. And to think of that, and yet it's been followed by an all-out assault on the right to vote in state legislatures all across the country. You know, during the current legislative sessions, elected officials in 43 states have already introduced over 250 bills to make it harder for Americans to vote. We can not let them succeed. Um, and President Biden introduced an executive order aimed at trying to uh, help people vote. It, it, to be candid, it was a gesture more than anything else. It doesn't have a lot of substance. Uh, it's a little bit vague, but it was his effort to say the administration stands behind expanding voters' rights. Jim, one quick uh, other note about the president's speech yesterday. He said that the last time, it, days before John Lewis died, he and Jill Biden went and paid a visit to Congressman Lewis. And Lewis, he, he says, refused to talk about his own condition and said to Joe Biden, Joe and Jill Biden on that day, let's not focus on that. I need, I need to focus on the effort moving forward to make sure all American citizens have access to the ballot, Jim. Yeah, if there's if 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 the United States has a patron saint of voting, uh, it's it's John Lewis, uh, and 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 I think it, it, to, I I agree with you on one level, uh, uh, Bill, on on Biden's remarks. I I think I think that it was it was mostly symbolic, but mm-hmm. what we have what we have had since uh, really since since. Uh, 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 January five, uh, when uh, when Georgia uh, uh, made the dis- dis- uh, put two us two d- Democratic uh, uh, members in the Senate, we've had this concerted Republican effort to in in state after state after state. This isn't just happening in Georgia. It's 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 very uniform, and it's a national movement to restrict voting uh, uh, in 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 the various states. I I take Biden's statement. As a as a uh, as as kind of a a, uh, a matching of that effort that there is there that there is going to be a national democratic effort to to repeal this. I mean, we've already seen uh, to, to stop this move. We've already seen uh, some very very uh, a, a, a very expensive ad campaign in Georgia uh, uh, put put up by Fair Fight Action, the Stacey Abrams group, and I think we're going to see more of it. Um, I, I, I thank you for for clarifying what I said. My I think the fairest thing to say is that it was a marker for uh, Democrats that the, the the president laid out yesterday, saying we are fighting this in every way we can. Uh, Patricia, we know that there are, and we read it in the Jolt uh, this morning, a number of election measures that will uh, have to get through today to be uh, kept alive for the rest of the session. Among them. Uh, is the uh, bill in the Senate which would uh, really eliminate uh, no excuse absentee voting and and uh, make it only for people 65 years o- older or people with conditions that would require them not vote in person, right? 
Yes, that's one of more than a dozen bills in the Senate just mm-hmm. today that are going to be up for debate. Um, it's just such a frenzy of activity. It literally is hard to keep track of what's going on. Um, but a really important through line that we're seeing here, um, in addition to um, creating what would effect, just effectively be a number of obstacles to voting, a number of uh, steps that make it much harder for certain people to vote. Um, there's also an effort in the legislature um, to pull a lot of power over voting into the legislature, to take it away from the Secretary of State and the governor, and um, to concentrate it within the Republican-led legislature. So what does that look like? It means that um, county election boards can be overtaken um, if they're deemed to be underperforming. Um, It also would prevent Brad Raffensperger from entering into a consent decree, which if you listen to Uh, The president's call with Brad Raffensperger right before the election, he was just fuming that Brad Raffensperger had signed a consent decree um, about uh, about a lawsuit that was being brought against the state. Um, It would also change Raffensperger from a voting member of the state elections board to a non-voting member and then put the new chair of the elections board um, at the disposal of the legislature. Um, So most things that Raffensperger can do Many of those things would either be prevented by many of these bills or require the state legislature to approve it. And so to me, that's also um, a really important piece of this. And we know how the legislature feels about voting in Georgia, especially in response to, to President Trump's allegations about the vote. So um, it's a it's a major, major change if these came through. And um uh, candidly, we don't know what's going to happen uh, because this, these all have a ton of momentum, and it's hard to see what stops a lot of it. Yeah, yeah I'm sure, sure I would agree with the momentum. There is a lot going on. I think we're last week we saw some some movement and some some movement by the Democrats to kind of stop a little bit of this. But then we we continue even over the weekend. Uh, some of us were hearing that the, the, some more you know, that that there was some pushback against what some of the Democrats are trying to do. So I think what's interesting in all this, and you talked about what they want to do and some of the bills want to do in terms of limiting the power of the Secretary of State, is that you've got a governor who used to be Secretary of State. And, and I think a lot of people are really curious to find out how he feels about all of this in, in light of... Um, in light of what happened with the governor, I mean, I'm sorry, with the president and all. So I think that there, even though we're seeing a lot of what is happening, there's still this third element that we still don't know about, and that's what's going on with the governor's office. So, but I have a feeling that that has uh, that there we're going to hear. There's whispering about what's going on with that uh, that will be taking place all day about how the governor feels about all of this. Riley. You know, quickly adding to Donna's point, there was a, a, a small but noticeable effort by a Republican during committee to strike the part in the bill that does away with no excuse absentee voting. When it went for a vote in committee, it was not voted for by Republicans or Democrats. So that makes me question, you know, there are some Republicans who may in the shadows be Again, doing away with no excuse. I am going to be very interested to see who votes against it on the floor. Um, but the the other thing I want to mention is, you know, Democrats, voting rights activists, they don't have a path in any of the state legislatures to go against this if they're majority held by the Republicans. So the two 
Democratic seats in the Senate are going to be a very, very big weapon and tool for the federal level to combat in any new changes that are going to show up in the state legislatures. You know, Bill, this this feels a lot like uh, the problem that Republicans generally have on, 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 on culture issues once they start going down this path. And that is that is that they they're not wholly in control of what happens. Uh, at least the the, the 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 state legislative leadership is not, and and I think that's we're we're approaching a situation where even if say if if Jeff Duncan or David the the lieutenant governor or House Speaker David Ralston wanted to stop something, I'm not sure that they could. It's it, it very very much like abortion. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there, back in the day, there were many attempts to, to really just to do some window dressing legislation that might satisfy the base. And, and it, it never worked. And they ended up have, having to uh, pass some, some very stringent, uh, uh, I mean, this, this, this latest one, the 481 that was passed three years ago, uh, and, is, and was, was uh, uh, kind of blocked by a federal judge. But I think we're, we're, we're headed into that same territory where people, where, where Republicans, are afraid to step in front of this train. I, Patricia, I think that is really an important uh, point, and I know you, you, um, all of us basically uh, 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 see it that way. And, and the reason I focused specifically on, on no excuse absentee voting being eliminated is that's the perfect example of this. The lieutenant governor says he doesn't want to eliminate no excuse absentee voting. The speaker has said he's not for eliminating no excuse absentee voting. But as Jim points out, this train may be moving down the track and Duncan and Ralston may not be able to step in front of it and slow it down. Well, I think that's exactly right. Um, And to Riley's point, it was the Republican chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee um, who said, wait a minute, let's see if we really want to go down this path. I believe that no excuse absentee voting um, is not the right way to go. And uh, or rather, he didn't want to put in restrictions because he felt other measures could make it more secure. At the beginning of this session, it seemed that a number of the more stringent votes and bills kind of looked like message bills, these big, broad, um, wide, scopey bills in response to so much of the controversy and so much of the heat that the president was putting on um, Republicans and so much of the heat that Republican voters were putting on their state legislators. Um, And the assumption would be like, well, these will get narrowed down and whittled down through the legislative process. Um, At this point, to Jim's uh, to Jim's observation, it's hard to see who stands up and says, I don't want to do this. I'm going to stand up and um, and and derail this. It's it's the longer it goes on, the harder it is. And um, when I say it has momentum, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine who stands up to change these bills that are uh, getting to the floor uh, of the Republican-controlled um, uh, houses. And uh, unless, a, unless the majority votes against them, they're going to be the law. Um, they'll have to go through conference committee, of course, um, and then they'll have to get signed by Kemp. But again, it's hard to see who stands up to say this is this is a bridge too far for me. Um, Riley, what, one of the things that I think it's important to point out here is so many of these bills, many of which are on the calendar today, some of which have already passed, are reactive 
not proactive. They are responses to what happened in November and then in January uh, in terms of the uh, general election and then the Senate runoff election, and, and not even vaguely focused on what we need to do in terms of moving forward on, uh, on expanding uh, the vote. And, and, and we've talked about this on the show before, but one of the things that uh, Republicans have been warned about is the law of unintended consequences here. Reactive bills and passing reactive laws can sometimes lead to things in the future you did not anticipate. Well, Bill, you know, after watching hours and hours of committee meetings on these, the one thing you have heard a lot, quite a bit from Republican lawmakers is, okay, there wasn't any fraud, but it's in people's minds that there was fraud, right? And it's just a testament to how widespread this idea pushed by the former president that there were false, you know, rampant voter fraud during the election has um, really penetrated their constituents' minds, right? So these are GOP lawmakers who are um, shaping policy based on this public perception. And, uh, you know, that is not uncommon, but the thing that you have to think about is that public perception is largely based on a falsehood. So, you know, what kind of um, blowback can you have? And you can't um, ignore the other side of that perception. So, right, the, the Democrats and voting mobilizers, they're perceiving this as this huge pushback after the general election and the January 5 runoff because the Democrats were very successful in the statewide races. So you can't give merit to one public perception and kind of ignore the other. Um, Donna, um, over the weekend, the uh, Brennan Center, which we've referred to on the show any number of times, they've been keeping track of the uh, measures in legislatures across the country that would attempt to change voting laws in the, as a response to the 2020 election. And they issued a report this weekend, a study in which they said, uh, after looking at the data, it's clear that uh, these uh, efforts to uh, uh, either eliminate uh, no-excuse absentee voting or to limit the number of early voting days in the state are uh, going to disadvantage African-American voters far more than white voters in this state. Um, and that's been a concern that Democrats have had from the very beginning, Donna. Absolutely. And that, that is why this is such a... a you're seeing such the, the big pushback by Stacey Abrams' group and all the money that is being spent to um, put the ads out there against this, uh, the feeling that, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just interesting. And the president got, um, talked about this yesterday, that here we are talking about Bloody Sunday, which in 1965 led to the Voting Rights Act that helped um, – help African-Americans get the right to vote. And then now, right in the middle of all of this anniversary, we're seeing what's happening at the Georgia Capitol, which is taking away some of that right, those rights. And, you know, the, the Sunday part, you know, changing weekend voting and making sure that it, you, you have um, fewer people, fewer times to be able to vote in terms of Sunday voting and souls to the polls, and various ways that has been that have been really powerful for trying to get the black vote, mobile voting, those kinds of things. Uh, the no excuse voting, we found out that I'm sorry, in terms of absentee voting, that we saw African Americans voting absentee 
um, in greater numbers than white voters. Uh, and I think that was reported in the AJC. So we are we're seeing a change um, with all of this. And it's feeling very uh, disingenuous to a lot of black voters who have really fought for so long uh, for all of this. Um, to the right to vote and to the feeling of power that everybody felt back in November and January with these elections that finally um, their voices were being heard. And now there's this movement to pull, pull, pull back and um, and take away some of those rights. And so there it, it, there's a lot of talk about what's going on. But one the other thing I have to point out is what we're hearing on the national basis, even though we know what's happening in Washington won't have a major effect. You know, the black community has always looked to Washington when it comes to elections related issues that when states weren't able to help them in Alabama and Georgia across the South, they always look to the, the uh, Washington and Washington came through. So there there is still a little hope in the feeling that, OK, something is taking place in Washington. Well, we've got H.R. 1, which has now passed the House, but which has limited uh, chances to pass in the Senate. We'll watch how it unfolds. Jim, let me bear with me. I want to read just a paragraph from this Brennan Center report because I think it's really telling. Um, Here's what the Brennan Center says. Um, Older voters who, according to CNN exit polls, supported Republicans at higher rates in 2020 in the Georgia elections would continue to have unrestricted access to vote by mail. Fewer than half of vote by mail participants under 65 were white, but 60 percent of the male voters between 65 and 74 and 70 percent of the male voters 75 and older were white because older Georgians are whiter than younger Georgians. The legislation restricting male voting for younger voters disproportionately benefits white voters. That's a fascinating uh, piece of information for this conversation, Jim. Yeah, yeah, which we have to remember is Georgia is a highly contested state now. And 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 this is all about point shaving. You know, this is just working around the margins to see if we can, if 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 a certain percentage of of a, a, per, a certain advantage of of just minute percentages can be gained through through the legislation. Uh, another an, another version of that bill, and 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 Patricia could back me up on this. I think is that the the, the Republican demand is that all counties behave uniformly in terms of of voting of of voting hours and 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 days. And you know, so so uh, a f- county like Fulton, which has has I think has, still has the the highest number of, of voters in in the in, in the state, would have to would have to operate on the same level as say an early county way way down in South Georgia, and that would that would that that would mean many many uh, hours of long lines and waiting on 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 election day uh, in Metro Atlanta. Uh, the other thing I would say is it, there are two things uh, that that are, that make this different from from uh, uh, 1965 uh, uh, and uh, and 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 the Voting Rights Act era, and that is and that is uh, number one, you do have some corporate uh, entities in Georgia that are that are keeping an eye on this. I was talking to a to, to a uh, 
a Democratic veteran over the weekend who said that the current push is is, is they're, they're 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 trying to to get these the giants like Coca Cola and and Home Depot uh, to come down on on the side of lessening uh, uh, these restrictions. But the other thing you have is you do have Stacey Abrams whose Fair Fight Action Group has raised $100 million since it began just, you know, just a little over two years ago. And, and that, that, you know, that's, that's a tremendous edge when it comes to messaging. Um, all right. I'm sorry. To, this conversation, I want to continue it because it's too important to just move on. So let's do this. Let's get a break out of the way and come back with a lot more on Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Our panel of terrific journalists continues the conversation. Donna Lowry, host of GPB TV's Lawmakers, Patricia Murphy, the political reporter and a columnist at the AJC. You read her column on Wednesdays and Sundays in the paper, and she oversees uh, the Political Insider blog and the Jolt at AJC.com. Riley Bunch, State House reporter for CNHI News, and our good friend Jim Galloway, who shares this show with me on Mondays all here. Uh, Patricia, uh, I want to give you a chance to weigh in on uh, this, uh, whether the Brennan Center and what it has found, or this notion about corporate uh, and Stacey Abrams' involvement in trying to stop all this. But even Stacey Abrams acknowledges that this is a train, Republicans dominate in the legislature. There's very little that they can do except work to vote some of these people out in the 22 election cycle, right? Well, and I think um, since you brought up 2022, um, I don't think there is a single path that Republicans could have taken this legislative session that would better tee up a run by Stacey Abrams for governor um, to take on Brian Kemp than what's happened over the last several weeks. Um, even if she had not been planning on running for governor, we have no information that that's the case, but it's almost as if she's required to get into the race now because this is her issue. Um, it has been her issue for many years. And um, the legislature is almost becoming the caricature that some Democrats have painted of them. Um, and uh, it gives Democrats an, just an unbelievable motivational tool to Democratic voters and also to, I think, some independent voters um, who look at this and see it as a direct reaction to President Trump. Um, and I, I will just never forget the front page of the AJC on the Sunday before the runoff elections when President Trump had called Brad Raffensperger asked him to find 11,000 votes to overturn the election results. And in my mind, that gave the election to the Democrats because it just told Georgia voters, what you want is irrelevant right now. 
and um, and what you voted for in November doesn't count. And I think that's a message that is um, is something Democrats are going to be able to run with. And, and it'll be hard for Republicans um, to make the case, not to Republican voters, because Republican voters largely do believe that the last election was rigged and unfair. Um, but it'll be hard to make the case to new voters, um, younger voters, uh, independent voters, and even some moderate Republicans uh, that this has anything to do except what ha- with what happened in, in 2020. Riley? I think if you're, you know, also talking about chain of events, if we have Stacey Abrams and the, the huge backing that she has, if the Democrats are successful in getting these corporate giants to, you know, make a statement, stand up against this legislation, that's going to have a huge effect. And I think the corporations in Georgia are a little bit more on the hook than they would have been if the January 6th attack on the Capitol didn't happen. There was a huge wave um, of, you know, corporates and corporations across the country that said they were going to pause their political giving. They were going to rethink their political giving in the wake of the January 6th attack. And this was primarily, you know, kind of a consequence for the Republicans who um, decided to go against the electoral college vote. But now we have companies in Georgia, Home Depot, UPS, that they said they were going to pause their political giving. And, you know, it's kind of are they, is it going to be a hollow statement? Or are they going to stand up against these voting legislations? And if they do, that that's big because they also back, you know, in dollars, the GOP lawmakers that are pushing these changes. Okay, we'll um, continue to talk a lot about uh, what's happening with these election bills in the week ahead. Um, In the meantime, Donna, on crossover day, uh, check me if I'm wrong here. There are a couple of other, several other bills that have gotten a fair amount of media attention, at least, um, that are on the bubble today. Sports betting, legalizing sports betting in Georgia, I believe, uh, has to be voted on today. Uh, Ed Setzler's bill that would give nursing homes, long-term care homes, more uh, leeway in allowing visitors during COVID to come into their uh, facilities without regard to what the science may say is still uh, on the uh, docket. Um, uh, the, uh, I think, and, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong, I'm, I think we still need to see the bill that would address citizens' arrest pass one uh, pass before to, to stay alive for the rest of the session. Am I right so far, Donna? Yeah, absolutely on all of those. And so I expect, you know, citizens' arrest isn't expected to have any problems. There's bipartisan support when the, the governor announced his support of it. And so I don't think that will be a problem. There's still some issue with the right to visit legislation. There's still a, uh, you know, you've got that powerful lobby by the hospital association. So they are trying to um, trying to make sure that that, uh, that 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 legislation doesn't hamper them in a major way. And right now, the right to visit is one hour by somebody who is designated, who is legally designated as the person who um, designated by the person who is the patient. Uh, right now. So uh, there's still some work that we expect to be done on that one, although there is bipartisan support uh, um, for and against it uh, down at the Capitol. And then the the other one that you mentioned, of course, sports betting. So sports betting, we thought might move along and end up as something easier to pass through the Georgia lottery. It looks like it's going to have to go through the, the constitutional amendment. There's um, SR-135, that would legalize sports betting. Um, it did 
it did pass out of the Senate and received the two thirds required. So now it goes to the House. Uh, so we, we don't have to worry about that coming out today on crossover day, but there will still be a lot of discussion on that. And then there's um, SB 142, which involves actually putting into place exactly what would happen if we get sports betting in the state after uh, and, and if the voters approve it. So, yeah, there, those are big things. There's still some um, issues dealing with coal ash and a few other things that are very important. It's a long list. It will be a long day. Uh, yeah, Bill, a question for for our for the working journalists on this panel, uh, and, and that is, and and, and that is is, uh, yeah, Democrats lack leverage uh, on 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 these election bills, but have they targeted any uh, any any other piece of legislation uh, as kind of a hostage? Uh, to 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 uh, remedy some of it. Uh, well, early early in the session, I had heard that gambling, the gambling legislation, was going to be a a a a, a, a kind of a, 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 a take that hostage role. Yeah, Jim. I think yeah, you're Riley, right. is that happening? You know, I think the their best bet would be the um, the gambling bill to kind of pull off that situation. But I haven't heard of a lot of others. I think Donna or Patricia could probably weigh in better. Patricia, had, there was talk. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I had Majority Leader um, Beverly on, James Beverly on the show uh, last week or the week before and really pushed him on that. And he said and he kind of backed off on on that, whether or not gambling would be one of the things that they would hold hostage. I think they want to hold a hard line on some things. But I still think there's some negotiating going on. But they, they are looking for their avenues for being able to hold back some votes in order to make sure that um, they can they have some leverage when it comes to these voting bills. But as we've said before, uh, that the train is moving so fast, I don't know whether they'll be able to uh, use some of that leverage. Um, Patricia, uh, before we move off the legislature and talk about a couple other issues in politics today, Uh, Let's point out to people that while it is certainly true that crossover day is kind of officially the day in which a bill has to pass one chamber to be considered uh, in the other, uh, there are all sorts of ways that measures that we declare dead after they gavel tonight's session closed have a way of magically reappearing uh, in the days ahead. Correct, Patricia? Yes. I would not call today a hard a hard line. It's more of a dotted line, you know. Um, uh, yes, measures can be added as amendments. Uh, a number of these, uh, even when passed by both chambers, will go to a conference committee, and lots of things happen in conference committees that are unanticipated, and lots of things happen on the 39th day uh, that were not anticipated by by us mere observers. Um, so yes, this is officially the official end, but there is. Uh, unofficially, that's just not accurate. <laughs> okay, uh, let's do this. Let's. Well, you know what? Before we're going to get a break out of the way, but very quickly, uh, Donna, you alluded to it, and very quickly throughout this week and really into next, we're going to be talking a bit here and there about one year since. And you pointed out, Donna, that it was just a year ago that essentially everything shut down after crossover day. It's truly remarkable to realize we've been living 
uh, for a year, year since all of that happened. And we should point out that it was a year ago that Fulton County shut down its schools uh, because of COVID. They thought they'd be closed for a short time. That's not what happened. And now with the vaccine coming, it's going to allow uh, schools across the state to really breathe a little more easily in terms of trying to keep their doors open. So this is a, a big day in that respect, too, Donna. Oh, absolutely. So March 12th was crossover day last year. March 12th, is, as everybody knows, is the big day that the NBA closed down. And when the NBA shut down, I think we all knew that something big was happening. There were things moving in that direction, but I don't even think anybody really saw what 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 did happen. So, yeah, so the last day for, for um, the legislature to really to really work toward anything that didn't deal with the, the COVID-related issues was on a crossover day. The next day they did gavel in, but very few showed up. And then the 16th was the big day that they showed up and just spent like maybe eight hours debating whether or not they were going to have, give the governor unprecedented powers when it came to um, to the covid situation. So, and then, yeah, the school shut down and it's amazing to think that it's been a year and finally they're feeling hopeful that they're going to start getting these shots and the shots begin today. And there's each school district has a path on how they're going to get the schools, uh, the teachers and the other people within the school district vaccinated within this, you know, Fulton County is looking to go down to and do something big down um, down at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So, I'm sorry, I got to jump in. We're going to get to our final break of the show, and then we're going to come back. Guess what? Ke- Kelly Leffler and Stacey Abrams have already had a little bit of an indirect face-off that I can't wait to talk about with the panel after these messages. <laughs> Riley Bunch, Jim Galloway, Patricia Murphy, Murphy, Donna Lowry with us today for Political Rewind. Jim, um, last week, or maybe it was a week before by now, uh, Kelly Leffler announced that she's forming a new organization called Greater Georgia, uh, which she says is designed to help expand the voting pool in the state of Georgia. She wrote an op-ed piece for the AJC that I can only say I felt like I was, I felt like I was living in an alternate reality when I saw this op-ed piece from the former candidate for U.S. Senate. So here's an example of what I'm talking about from that op-ed. She says that she's starting the organization to be a voice for those who felt like theirs wasn't being heard. Um, She said that for many people, uh, the sanctity of the vote was seriously in question. We can and must do more to expand voting, broaden our conversations with more communities, build greater confidence in our electoral process, communicate continuously with diverse communities, and strengthen election transparency and uniformity. Um, this from the candidate who supported Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the outcome of the election in Georgia and called for the firing of Brad Raffensperger because he wouldn't support that effort. I just find it, it, it it's a reintroduction of Kelly Leffler as a whole new person who very well might be running in 2022 again, Jim. But, but, uh, but who is asking us to ignore what happened between November 3rd and January 5th? Uh, when she when when she advocated uh, she she backed that Texas lawsuit 
uh, to 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 dump five million Georgia votes in the in the presidential election. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm wondering I'm wondering if this is a a, a kind of a rehabilitation effort, uh, if you would. To to, to I mean, uh, I I th- I think she did a great deal of harm to her reputation uh, uh, after after November third. Uh, in in relation to 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 everything that Donald Trump demanded of her and David Perdue when it came to uh, Georgia's election, and and I'm we've never had Republicans haven't haven't shown themselves eager to engage in kind of a, a Stacey Abrams kind of movement for, to 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 address voting. So I'm I'm just wondering if this is a a personal effort on her her part to to uh, to 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 recast herself. Yeah, fair enough. It's as if she dumped the advisors she had uh, consulting on her uh, election campaign and went with a whole new team who said here's a new way to uh, 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 to go, uh, Patricia. Um, I I take a slightly different view of this. Um, among Republicans uh, in the state, and really President Trump, you have to include in this in this group, um, they have marveled at Stacey Abrams' ability to raise money to dominate the issue of voting. Um, uh, Donald Trump has said that. Uh, Stacey Abrams has made all the Republicans look like fools in the state um, and that she's run circles around them and make them look like dummies. And so I think and there is also a large group of Republican voters who feel that their votes were not counted and feel victimized by the last election and feel victimized by a lot of what's happened um, in the last four years, um, driven mostly by uh, President Trump's message to them to say, um, y- nobody's going to save you but me. Uh, uh, you're going to get canceled. Uh, you, Everyone's against us. Uh, he, there's a victimization among the Republican base that you hear that I think this is speaking directly to. So I see it as more not a play toward the middle, but a play toward those Super, super conservative voters, Valdosta, Rome, the people who didn't come out in the runoff because they didn't feel like their votes mattered and didn't feel like their voices uh, were being heard. I think that's a really important point. She does say in this op-ed just that, that so many, she cites the number of voters who, who voted in November but did not come back to the polls on uh, for the runoff election. Riley, I want to bring you into the conversation. Before I do, though, Kara Swisher, the New York Times writer, does a uh, podcast, and Stacey Abrams was her guest on the most recent one. And, uh, and Swisher asked Abrams, whether she thinks what uh, Leffler is trying to do is recreate a fair fight organization uh, for the right. Here's that exchange. She intentionally says that she's going to serve the conservative cause. Our mission is to protect democracy. Her notion is to protect the kind of democracy that allows her to win. And my experience is that that democracy tends to mean the erosion of and erasure of communities of color, poor communities, and the marginalized and disadvantaged. She says she believes in election integrity, which is the code language they use to justify voter suppression. And that means that she has not a similar intent, but she has the exact opposite intent. My mission is expansion of voting rights. Her mission is the contraction of participation by limiting those who have the right to vote from being able to use them. Riley? You know, I 
think that Stacey Abrams hit the nail on the head. It's hard for, you know, former Senator Leffler to pitch herself as this voting expander, right, when she echoes the same false allegations, you know, a little watered down. For sure, you know, but the same kind of allegations of that the election wasn't secure. She uses the words that we hear in the state house, you know, transparency and uniformity across the elections process. And um, I don't think it, it'll be interesting to see how this evolves in terms of um, will she keep, you know, back some, get on board with some of the more extreme GOP candidates that are around right now. Um, but I think it's hard for her to pitch this kind of voting experience expansion in the climate that the GOP has created. All right, Donna, all that said, uh, I take Stacey Abrams at her word, but she's a very smart political operator. She knows full well that expanding the voter rolls and and bringing more African-Americans into the voting booths is going to advantage Democrats. It's a little disingenuous for her to say her efforts are completely partisan neutral. Yeah, I think she knows that any effort to get people to the polls is uh, is going to benefit the the um, the efforts. It's going to help her with her efforts. So in that sense, yeah, I agree with you, Bill. And, and but I also know that she has got to point out this whole. Uh, if you can't beat them, join them kind of feeling that this Leffler uh, organization has, that uh, that Stacey Abrams has gained such attention with what she's done, that it's being replicated in other states, and that she, so the feeling is, okay, so they're trying to use our playbook, but uh, let's, let's be clear, if, if you, by even using that playbook, it's going to help all of us in the end. Jim, um, we've only got a couple minutes, but I'd love to get your final thoughts on this. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, we we are missing we are missing uh, Section Five of the Voting Rights Act, which was which was uh, dismissed by the Supreme Court several years ago that 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 uh, allowed uh, pre-approval by the justice required pre-approval by the Justice Department to to voting changes in Georgia, and it what's what I find interesting is is that Abrams has pretty much financed her own section 5 operation if you will i mean that's that's the and 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 i do think republicans i i i'll agree with patricia on this they they there there is a there is some envy here they want to match that uh patricia uh we abrams gets all the credit in the world for expanding the voting rolls there's no doubt about that and republicans do have to find some way to counter it they do. And I think um, there are a group of more moderate Republicans who would like them to counter it with a different message, um, a more expansive message, a more inclusive message, and not focus so much on how people vote, but on why they voted the way they did in 2020. Um, and if you, uh, one quick thing, if you look at something that John Ossoff said over the weekend, it shows what a collision course Georgia is on while the Georgia legislature is moving these bills. Also, spoke um, at the anniversary of um, of Bloody Sunday and called these uh, bills no better than Jim Crow and the legislators who pushed them no better than Bull Connor. So these are diametrically opposed forces all within our state. Patricia Murphy, Riley Bunch, Jim Galloway, Donna Lowry, what a terrific conversation today. Donna will be watching lawmakers tonight. Patricia will be with you for that show to see how the legislature is dealing with crossover today. Uh, and uh, that'll be 7 o'clock 
on the GPB TV network. That's it for us for today. I'm Bill Nygut, back again with another show tomorrow. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy. Please wear your mask, even if you're vaccinated. See you all tomorrow.